You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're... Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Shaka Cummings here. F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. My partner in crime, Parker Ainsworth, on the other side. Parker, how are you, sir? Doing well, Shaka. How are we doing? I'm doing pretty good. Life's good. I got no complaints. I've been watching sports all weekend, a lot of college basketball. And, like, the uh, you sent me the text about the James Harden Giannis Antetokounmpo beef, and so I've been following that on Twitter, which has been really cool. I'm I'm not mad at Harden at all. So, like, I love the fact that he's kind of getting at Giannis a little bit, especially after the All-Star game. How great does that could a Rockets-Bucks finals be with that going in the background the whole time? <laughs> that just would be fantastic. Everyone's already anticipating March 25th and their, their game against one another, but that would be awesome, awesome, awesome. I love the background stuff. I could see them going for like 40 a game, like just going back and forth. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to go yeah. at each other. Um, I got skill. No, I got skill. Okay. Y'all both got skill, and we all get to enjoy it. Like, that's how that works. Okay. <laughs> the Kevin Durant thing, did you see? You saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, in my mind, I'm like, so Bradley Bill got randomly drug tested after dropping two 50-point games. When are they going to randomly drug test Kevin Durant, right? <laughs> like, that's got to be what's coming next. I don't know why you would say that out loud, uh, but the random drug test for him, I'm sure, is coming. Um we got uh, three great claims this week. We're going to talk a little bit about Joel Embiid in the process. We're going to talk NFL Combine, and then we'll wrap up with March here. 
talking about a little NCAA tournament. So without further ado, Parker, are you ready, sir? Ready when you are, Shaq. All right, peace. Our first claim of the week is about the Philadelphia 76ers and the process. And the claim itself reads, the process will not be complete until the Sixers trade either Embiid or Simmons. What are your thoughts? Uh, so first we need to back up and like describe, I think, what all, how all this came to be. Because we have two NBA All-Stars on the same team and we're not I, I get I think people have a higher expectation of what they are or what they're supposed to do. So that expectation comes from in twenty fourteen, Philadelphia drafts Joel Embiid with a third overall pick. He ends up missing two full seasons and only plays thirty one games in his third season. Over the course of those losing seasons, right, after two seasons later, they draft Ben Simmons, number one overall in twenty sixteen, who ends up missing his own whole entire season but does win Rookie of the Year in his second. Joel Embiid played 31 games in three years. Um, ben Simmons only played one of those years. So then they've got another, another number one pick, and then they end up taking a kid named Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz ends up uh, kind of flaming out there through all kinds of different things. Um, he is, however, playing much better in Orlando now, but he gets traded to Orlando for uh, Jonathan Simmons and a combination of guys that go through a three-way trade with Boston and stuff like that. Anyway, so that's how you get to the situation now where you've got two superstars, potentially could have had a third, on the same Philadelphia team. They were both all-stars, were both important in that all-star game. A year ago, we're a few weird bounces away. One big difference is that last year they had Jimmy Butler, right? And Jimmy Butler leaves town, he goes to Miami. Miami's kind of fallen off a little bit in the last two or three weeks, but they really had a good first half of the season. So where I sit on the claim itself about the process not being complete until they trade one of them is it still feels like, because of how much time they missed and how relatively young these guys are, like, we're projecting a lot on what we expect out of these guys. So that's the situation in Philadelphia as it currently stands. Um, You are a New Yorker. You've got plenty of takes on Philadelphia. Uh, both sports and otherwise. I'm Absolutely. anxious to hear what you've got to say about Joel, what you've got to say about Big Ben, the Philly process, and the whole nine. So, Shaka, what's your take on the situation? So, uh, when I think about the 76ers and the process, it feels like they haven't lived up to expectations. They had, as you pointed out, such a great opportunity last year to break through. And, again, any one of those bounces off the rim, and all of a sudden they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, they're going up against Giannis, and then maybe maybe the story's rewritten in lots of different ways. Like, even the Kawhi Leonard story might feel different had that shot not gone down. But with this claim being about the 76ers, the piece from last season that feels very different this season is obviously that Jimmy Butler piece. Elton Brand goes out, brings in Tobias Harris, brings in Al Horford, lets Jimmy Butler go. And the construction of this team feels like one that I don't know what they're going to be able to do in the playoffs beyond maybe winning a round. It doesn't feel like they could get back. It doesn't feel like they can feel as competitive as they felt last season. It doesn't feel like their team is going to threaten to beat Boston, beat uh, Milwaukee, even beat Miami if they see them. I, I I know Jimmy wants to see these guys in the finals. Like Jimmy <laughs> wants to see these guys in the playoffs because he knows he can take their heart from them. 
the process being complete i guess the first thing that we would need to do is define what does the completion of the process look like philly was so bad for so long could you argue that the completion of the process is just them being competitive now for for philadelphia 76er fans do they feel like completion of the process is winning a title obviously they haven't done that so if that's what's going to define completion of the process then i would argue i don't know that this team is currently constructed as a championship team and i don't think that that's that hot a take what i do think is maybe a little bit hotter of a take is in order to get the thing that you need to win the championship you're definitively going to have to trade either Embiid or uh, ben simmons you can't have both of them the thing that they need is jimmy butler which they had which is so weird that they didn't just re-sign him just make that work give him the money bring him back because they were so competitive and the team that won the nba championship the team that pushed them the hardest was philadelphia so why not come back with that squad again for Philly to let Jimmy Butler leave, I feel like is a soft move. I feel like Elton Brand letting Jimmy Butler get out of Philly is the worst thing that could have happened for Philadelphia because what you have are two superstars in Embiid and Simmons that I don't know that they garner that same uh, that same sense of self-worth for the team that Jimmy Butler did. Any team Jimmy Butler is on feels like we got a shot. We're going to go because we got this dude. And I don't know that Philly feels like that having – Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. At least when I watch him, it doesn't seem like that. I'd agree on a lot of levels in that they do need that third option. I think both Joel and Ben are interesting players. I'm going to break them down more individually in a second. Um, But they're both interesting players in that they need that third. I think the truth is this process thing got broken when the Markel Fultz pick did not work out. I don't mean to put all that on Markel Fultz because he looks like he still may end up being a great pro. But they certainly needed a legitimate perimeter scoring threat with that pick. And they wanted the kid named Markel Fultz when other kids were on the table. <laughs> and we'll get more into who they could have had in a second, I'm sure. But um, that, that didn't work out. And so then they make some moves and pull in Jimmy. And it's like you said, with that third scoring threat, there's a real argument that they were the third best or second best or potentially even a couple bounces away from being the best team in the NBA last year. Like, that that's how close this whole thing really was. And I don't think that it's necessarily, you know, time to just trash it because Jimmy left and now we have these two other pieces that we had before. If the process cannot be completed until you trade either Joel or Ben Simmons, assuming the claim is correct, which one do you go with there? What's your what's your breakdown there? Is there some flaw in the two of them paired? Is it the both of them? Is it one? Is it the other? What are you thinking when you see that claim? Yeah, it's the two of them together. They occupy the same space on the court. So they want to play in similar spots, which I think hurts both of them from being fully realized in terms of what their potential could be. Um, if, if you had to trade one or the other, I'm imagining... I would just trade the one that I could get the most for. I don't know who that is because they're both flawed. Ben Simmons can ball, can't shoot. And in the analytics-driven NBA, it feels like, okay, well, you got to be able to shoot playing a perimeter position. Otherwise, maybe you can't get as much for him. And then Joel Embiid, I mean, I don't think that anyone would question that Joel Embiid is top five, I mean, top three big in the league. I don't think that people would question that. People just question, can he play 82 games? 
Yeah, I actually think it's a simpler question than that, though. I think because, like you're saying, Embiid is clearly a top three big man, you're going to get the most return for him because those are harder to find. It's hard to find big people, right? Like the percentage of people over six foot nine playing in the NBA across the earth is crazy. And the fact that he's athletic and strong and agile and whatnot, like he he's he's a he's he's a diamond the not diamond the rough, but like he is a very difficult type of player to find. One, as a Houston Rockets fan, you fully recognize that people don't mind going small. The other thing that throws a hiccup into that is that Ben Simmons is 6'10". So, like, I get that he doesn't play a similar style to Embiid, but could you say, hey, we can get a perimeter player knowing that we got this 6'10 dude who is essentially going to handle the ball and can do some of those things. They just occupy such similar spacing on the floor that it feels like, yeah, maybe I could just go ahead and kind of believe that. That's that's exactly it, is that... The truth is, is you can swap Ben Sim, you can swap Embiid with someone that needs the seven footer, and frankly, Joel Embiid, for what it's worth, is up to about four threes a game this year. He's shooting at about thirty four percent clip, which is up from thirty percent a year ago, which is up from the year before that. Like he is spacing the floor better than he has in his career, and I'm, you know, assume that that will trend upwards, right? Because you don't get worse at shooting over time, typically. Um, the difference is that the NBA may be about to be shifting to where guys like Ben Simmons are as valuable as anyone. Embiid has sat through injuries the last couple of years too, and Simmons' numbers are significantly better. You know, a four and a half points a game, shooting better percentage, getting more shots off, etc. Um, Simmons is a much better player with a small in that center position, kind of like what Houston's doing. And you give me a hard time about my Houston Rockets. I think more teams are starting to trend to that type of play for at least large chunks of the game. That guy that can be 6'10 and take anyone off the bounds is going to only be more valuable in the future. And Ben Simmons is young. He's playing into the future. And so I think that that's the guy they keep out of the two. I, I think the difference is when that guy's bringing the ball up the floor, if you don't get in his grill somewhere around 28, 30 feet, or at least get an arm's length away around 28, 30 feet, you're giving him, much like you give Giannis, room to get up, get to full speed on his way to the basket. And that has proven with 6-3 Russell Westbrook to be bad for defenses. Defenses are not working when they give him space to drive because they're sagging off the jump shot or whatever, and he's going off for 40. And I'm saying we now have a guy that's 6'10 doing exactly that. I'm holding on to that guy. The, the biggest issue with the process and the direction that it's going are they clearly made two mistakes in the development of this team. The first one was drafting Markel Fultz because now, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. Jason Tatum was the pick. And if they had taken Jason Tatum, this whole team feels very different having that guy paired with Joel Embiid we also, and Ben Simmons, right? I mean, we can pause there. When when Danny Ainge has the number one pick and he's willing to trade with you down to the number three pick, you need to stop and you need to figure out who the bleep he's getting at his pick because that's the dude to pick. Ainge can find talent. You need to make sure. <laughs> they got ripped off there in an unseen way, unforeseen way. But everyone watching basketball is like, huh. Danny Ainge is trading down to the third pick. He's about to get someone good. 
and then oh guess what he took the best player on duke that worked out like it's not <laughs> like why why was that why did they do that that's that's the flaw in this that's i we're 100 percent agreeing there yeah. and it's not that markel fultz will not be a great nba player he's still young he's still developing he worked through his demons on he can now shoot the ball again or whatever well, he's, he's a great his shoulders healthy now so and he's a, a great game. athlete he you know the trick is, if Danny Ainge can see that the best player on Duke is the guy to take, you should probably see that too. <laughs> like, well, and let me say this. It's not even about seeing that necessarily. It's about exactly the issue that Embiid and Simmons have now. All three of those guys occupy the same space on the floor. So when you take, um, when you take Markel Fultz, he does the same things that Ben Simmons does. And he does them in the same space that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons wants to operate. So it feels like, as a Knicks fan, when we signed 17 different power forwards this season, and it's like, okay, well, what the hell are those guys going to do when they all play together? They all do the same stuff. Okay, that's what Philly did at, obviously, a higher level because the Knicks suck and Philly's trying to win a championship, and they have three top picks. And so they essentially got three guys that kind of do the same thing. Um, the other piece that I want to talk about as well, and I've mentioned this earlier, is we cannot overlook letting Jimmy Butler go. Like, when you were talking about bringing in another piece, you talked about a third option. Jimmy Butler was not the third option. Jimmy Butler was the first option in the fourth quarter. He was the dude. And part of the deal with the way that the process has come together is I think that we're finding out that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons can't be the alpha. On, not on a championship team. They could be an alpha on a team that wins 50 games and gets knocked out in the second round. But you need an alpha to come in, which is why you have to keep Jimmy there because Jimmy was that. He was the alpha. So now you didn't have to worry about going out and signing someone or drafting someone. You had a nucleus of three players that you could put different pieces around, and you know, hey, these guys are young, hungry. They know their roles, and we're going to be able to go compete. And so the tough part now is, okay, well, you let Jimmy go. If you trade Embiid or Simmons, even if you get an alpha type in there, now you're getting an alpha type in there. You're pairing them with one of those guys. When you had already had three guys together, and those three guys were young and could compete for the championship, it's just tough. I agree on a lot of fronts. I also think it's funny that when asked around the All-Star break just a couple couple weeks ago now, Elton Brand was being – asked by reporters stuff about like well what do you think you're gonna do to fix this problem and you are you know are you gonna look to move one of these guys in the offseason and his response was kind of like it's a really great problem gm a lot of gms would like to have and the truth is a lot of gms would like to be faced with the problem of you have two potentially generational talents under the age of 25 what are you gonna do right like that is he is not wrong there i think you're right that letting jimmy walk was not the best option i just i we're both reading tea leaves here. Neither one of us like can text Jimmy Butler and ask him or anything like that. I was reading tea leaves last summer as it was more of Jimmy Butler's decision to not come back than Philadelphia's. I, I certainly didn't get the impression that he like talked with Philadelphia and was like, meh, no, I'm going to Miami. I got much more of the impression that he was kind of ready to bounce. Yeah, except that Philly could offer him the most money. So it feels like if you really wanted to keep Jimmy, you would have found a way to keep Jimmy because you could do what no one else could do, pay him more than everyone. And so there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying, right? That maybe Jimmy wanted to go somewhere and 
he saw Miami as being a better opportunity than Philly. And then it's just a part of me that's like, hmm, okay, could you have just paid that man? I mean, he did everything that you asked of him from the time that he came into Philly, including the postseason. It, it was working so well. And to say, hey, we're going to break that up. It just feels really short-sighted by Elton Brand. Yeah, he got a lot of that back in the sign-and-trade, though, right? Because it was technically a sign-and-trade, and they technically got back Josh Richardson and stuff. like. Kind of like how DeAndre Russell ends up in uh, Golden State. I, I I just I don't necessarily think that like he was eager to stay in Philadelphia. And so while I could criticize a lot of other moves Brand has made, and I could sit here and talk for days about how Al Horford was a horrible signing, as good a player, and that's not because Al Horford's not a good player. That was just not a good fit. Um, I don't think that that's a move I'm ready to get super hypercritical on Brand on because, truthfully, I don't know how much of that was really even up to him. I, Jimmy is a grown man. He can play where he wants to play. He earned that, right? Um, it sounds like he kind of wanted to walk. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to criticize him with Jimmy. Like, I have no problem doing that. You have to find a way to keep that guy. And if you can't find a way to keep that guy, when your job is to find a way to keep that guy, yeah, you, you definitely receive criticism. I also think that it's weird that Elton Brand would say that he's in a position that's enviable by other GMs. Just from this standpoint, if this doesn't work out, you're getting fired. And no one wants to be in that situation because it truly looks like this is not going to work out. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. I, that, that's a fair way to put it. He probably isn't thinking about himself getting fired. It's interesting when you talk about people getting fired, though. I feel like the first fire is probably Brett Brown, the coach. The process has never been about the coach, and that's what we're sitting here talking about is, like, that's the next domino to fall. Um, and if we keep dancing around other dominoes besides the two people involved in the process, being the two top three overall picks that were supposed to start this whole thing off and that were supposed to be the time to get it right and so on, then maybe it really is time to call it a failure. I don't know. Um, you opened up this whole spiel talking about the biggest part of that claim is defining the process. So what are we going to define the process as before we grade out this claim? To me, Philly didn't draft these guys to just make the playoffs. Philly drafted these guys saying we're going to win a championship. We're going to go through all this failure because we know that we can get the pot of gold that's at the end of the rainbow. And the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is not getting to the second round and losing. It's winning a championship. And Philly's done that in their franchise history. So it's not like they're the Memphis Grizzlies and they've never done something like that. So it might be unreasonable to even make that ask. It's reasonable to make that ask. All right, so as we're about to grade this, then that's how we're going to approach the goal of the process is to put together a team that can win a championship. Okay, so as I grade that, it's an F because I don't think these guys can do it. I don't think they, they, they want the same space on the floor, and as long as you have those two guys together who need to play in the same space on the floor offensively, then you're going to be in trouble. And... They've shown, they haven't shown anything that makes me say they're growing toward being a championship contender. They've, they haven't shown anything that makes me think that they're growing toward having a champion's heart. And it'd be one thing if I could look to their past success and say, well, you know, these guys did it in college. Ben Simmons in college was on a team that didn't even make the NCAA tournament, and then he bounced so that he wouldn't have to play in the NIT. And Joel Embiid's team didn't win the championship in the year that he was there either. 
So now it's like with Wiggins. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just look at those guys, and there's nothing that says to me, okay, they've got a track record of being able to pull this thing off. Elton Brand doesn't have a track record as a GM of pulling this thing off. Brett Brown doesn't. There's no one in the franchise who I look at and I'm like, oh, yeah, they got that heart. The one dude that had it was Jimmy Butler, and they let him go. I think you are right about one thing that we can agree on there, whether or not we think he walked on his own or because they pushed him out the door or whatever. He was certainly management and the office's third favorite player by all accounts, right? It looked like they were building this around Ben and Embiid, and even though Jimmy was the heart and the clutch and the everything at the end of games, the team as a franchise stand, from the franchise standpoint certainly seemed to give off the vibe that it was really Ben and Joel and then Jimmy was third fiddle, right? Um, and that, whether or not they pushed him out the door, couldn't resign or whatever, Jimmy has never looked like the kind of guy that wanted to play third fiddle. Third so fiddle, that, you can forget that. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I'm grading the claim, the process will not be complete until Philly trades one of Embiid or Simmons. If it's a completed project, I agree. I think it's an F, right? Because they currently, if the process means they win it all, they are not going to win it all this season. They are not one of the three best teams in the East. They're not one of the, you know, best teams in the, you know, it's not like if you move them to the West, they do any better. Uh, they're just, they are not a championship level team as currently put together. And that is in large part because they put all their chips in these two baskets. But if the process will not be complete until Philly trades either Embiid or Simmons is the claim, I weirdly want to hand that incomplete and say, okay, let's see what happens there. Because if I give it an incomplete and then I see them trade one of those guys and bring in a haul and then they create a team that attracts a big time free agent and then they make a run, then the claim's actually right, right? Then then the claim is that they made that trade and made a run. If I look at teams that have made the finals a lot recently, I kind of look at it like I look at the Cleveland team that had LeBron. They had three number one picks in a span of four years. They got Kyrie. They had Anthony Bennett. Okay, bleh. let's make sure we start talking about that whole thing. Yeah, Anthony Bennett. <laughs> okay, Anthony, bleh. And then they got Andrew Wiggins. And they turned Anthony Bennett and Andrew Wiggins into LeBron and Kevin Love. And they went to the finals four times and won it once, right? Like, and frankly, injuries, they could have won it the first time. And so I guess, well, bringing in a LeBron is certainly unique and I don't mean to say that they're going to bring it back a LeBron if they start shifting out those guys. Okay, because you that's recognize a team. that that's the big caveat, right? The big variable in your... Well, but your hold on, hold on, hold that. on. Because what I'm saying is that that's a team that had three number one picks in four years. This team had three top three picks in four years and turned those assets into a championship team. Um, yes, there is no franchise luckier to have the best player of all time born in their backyard than Cleveland. I get that. But the idea that you can turn four years of top pick type of assets into a championship team is not lost. And technically, that could still be what, if the claim says they're going to have to trade one of these guys to do it, that could still be what happens here, right? They've built up these two guys into all-stars. They've developed them into all-stars. Now it's time to ditch one. They ditch one, they build their team back up, they put it back. Like, it's not necessarily a completed claim yet in my eyes if it's based on winning a title when they trade one of these guys. Yeah, I guess that's why I kept bringing Brett Brown and Elton Brand into it because you have to have confidence that the front office types, that the administrative structure 
is championship capable as well because they're going to be the ones who are bringing back whatever you're going to get back in terms of the trade for either Embiid or Simmons. Based on the decisions that those folks have made, there's nothing that says to me that they're going to be championship ready in terms of what haul they can get back. And I don't even know that it's going to be a haul because once again, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are flawed players. It's easy to criticize Brown and to criticize Elton Brand. This whole thing was not started by either one of them. They just are the two currently sitting as the face of it, right? Sam Hinkie and then Colangelo after, like, this isn't necessarily their baby that they're trying to see grow into this fully formed championship deal. They just didn't abandon it when they came in. And so if the process fails, we're both right, I think, that it would lead to the firing of Brown and then probably the firing of Brand afterwards and the blowing up of the team and the spreading out of the All-Stars and then Philly is back kind of where they were between Iverson and this happening. Um, I just, I like, this was Sam Hinkie's thing. And so it's odd that he's moved on. They're still, again, at a 51 pace. And it's like, well, it failed. We're going to fire these other two guys instead of like, I don't know. It's a weird thing to me that we're doing with this. All right, Shaka. Claim number two for this week. The NFL should abolish the combine before the draft. What do you think? I think that abolish is an interesting choice of words. So let's start there. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It, it's the the combine has a weird tenor to it because most football players are African American and you've seen them measured and now we're history teachers, right? So we we go to these different contextual places in our minds. And as I'm actually like currently with my middle school is actually teaching civil war. So we're talking about things like slavery and you look at that and say, Oh my gosh, it's a weird con- context, right? We just talked about 1619 last week. Yeah, so, yeah, so we're I mean, in the same place. <laughs> all of that's weird. I, I, I don't want this to go too much in that direction because, I, I mean, we're talking about millionaires or potential future millionaires, right? And so it's definitely... It is dramatically different. different. It is weird to, weird to measure people, but it's dramatically different. Especially because the big story coming out of the measurement is the white dude's hands. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> it's Joe Burrow's hand size. Like, I've never heard... Anyway, Completely. I don't want to... Because this is a PG pod. I don't want to get too much into nine inches. But let's, let's talk about um, <laughs> just the combine and what it is. And so if we think about what football must have been 50 years ago, 75 years ago, right? Something like this probably makes a lot of sense where you got to pull players together. Um, you get coaches and scouts all in one area. They're able to look at all the different players, get a lot of information. In the modern era, it doesn't feel like this is n- something that is necessary. And I start doing research and I start looking into some of the guys who – don't get invites to the combine this year. And keep in mind, I'm a University of Kentucky graduate. I'm a University of Kentucky football fan, basketball fan. So I fully recognize this is a homer take. But the SEC sack leader did not get invited to the combine this year. And you think, wow, the SEC as a conference, of course, their sack leader is going to get invited every year. Nope. The dude's name is Calvin Taylor, and he plays for Kentucky. And Kentucky... They had a couple of players I felt like should have been invited to the combine that didn't get an invite. So if you're limiting the number of people who are invited to this deal, that's the first sign to me that maybe this isn't that necessary because at least in your mind, in some way, shape, or form, 
or whoever's organizing it, not necessarily you specifically, Parker, but whoever's organizing this deal is already saying, hey, we don't necessarily need to have everyone in the world here, so they're limiting the number. <laughs> then, no, I also don't think we need to have everyone in the world there. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> Fair point, fair point. Um, and, and then we get into the fact that you have the top prospects I mean, how what's what's been the trend line for the top prospects not really participating in the drills at this thing? I don't know. I it's a it's a weird deal. Like we talked about first, it feels like this like Westminster dog show of human beings, right? Like it feels like we're trotting them out, we're running them through a little like a lap around the around the field for everybody, and they're gonna like sit there in their tights and they'll do little jumps and hurdles and stuff like that, just like we would with a dog show. But at the end of the day, if I'm looking for a lineman. Or if I'm at a dog show looking for the best of the hunting breed, I don't care how well you run around and a lap around the stadium or how well you run a 40-yard dash. And I want to see you get after rushing the passer. And it doesn't seem like the combine has that in it. Does it? Does it seem like it has that in it to you? No. Uh, the drills are – that's a big part of the combine for me anyway is that we get them out there and they do a lot of things that are tangentially related to – athleticism and football but the reality is the best way to decide whether or not a guy is going to be a good fit for your team is to watch the film and then you can grade them based on that which is what almost every scout's doing right i mean nfl has huge scouting departments for a reason these guys go to the games they watch the film they grade out how a guy performs and then really all these measurable pieces are to confirm that what you're seeing on tape makes sense right so in other words if i have an offensive guard who just mauls people in the run game. And then we get him at the combine. He benches 225 pounds 30 times. It confirms that he's strong. So he's probably going to be able to do that. That's going to translate to the next level. If I get a guy who runs by people on deep routes as a wide receiver, and then he runs a 4-6 and a 40, you're like, well, whoa, let me go back and check the film again. And I don't know if that's stopping anybody from drafting anyone, number one. But also, number two, if all these guys are doing pro days and all these colleges have pro days, and you can invite guys in, like the point of the combine is what now again? Because I go to these pro days anyway. I'm gonna see these guys run again. I'm gonna see these guys they're gonna do all the stuff that they did at the combine at the pro day. So what do I need the combine for? It feels like an extra deal. And I mean to be honest, what it feels like to me is like the NFL has figured out that people will watch this thing and it could be kind of a reality show. So you can get the deal where you see this raw emotion of a guy who did something that he wasn't expecting to do, whether it's the positive or the negative, and we see that raw emotion in the moment, and we get that story. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about, like, DK Metcalf last year running that 40 and then breaking down, calling his family, saying, I did it. You know, I'm thinking about um, the Griffin brothers, and when we got to see uh, uh, it was Shaquille Griffin, who we got to see run the 439 as an outside linebacker and then his brother who's already in the NFL is like, oh yeah, oh my God, and the whole family's so happy because he runs that 40. And it's like, okay, if we're in this for the reality piece, how about the NFL just pick a few players and do the reality piece and you could do it probably really well versus having four days of what feels like a lot of people could better utilize their time. I don't know. And you, you could do it at their pro days. You can give them more of a before and after type story i also agree that this is something that feels very much made for tv i don't know that we necessarily cared about it much like we didn't care for the westminster dog show before it's put on tv um 
I that doesn't mean it's not impressive to watch Khalil Davis run a four seven five forty at over three hundred pounds yesterday. That doesn't mean it's not impressive to watch Tristan Wirfs running a four eight five at as a three hundred pound offensive tackle. You know that I don't mean to say that these aren't impressive things. And I'm not glued to the television because much like our talk last week about the seventeenth football game. I am sitting around watching it. Like it is, an, it is, it is interesting to watch. It's a guy that works out and played football and has some appreciation for how difficult those things are. Absolutely, all those times when I, as an offensive lineman you had to run forty yards. That's what I'm getting at, though, is that <laughs> in 2020, scouts. I, I'm lucky enough that I got to teach and now coach a kid whose parent, whose dad works for Dallas here. And while Dallas has made questionable draft picks in the past, he does. <laughs> he's not on the actual drafting side as much as on the scouting side, and um, he has laid out just because I've been interested in watching the tape and being a better coach, he can pull up very literally broken down to the type of pass rush move the guy's using. Any piece of any college game played in the last like five years. And I, I don't feel like if they have that kind of access to game tape of Division One FCS and FBS football games, I don't know that I need to know how much how fast an offensive lineman can get from point A to point B if it's 40 yards apart when I can watch every time he got swam broken down on film, right? I don't know that I need to know how high a middle linebacker's vertical leap is, a standing vert, right? When I can watch every one of his tipped balls or interceptions and see how high he actually got off the ground in the game. I don't know that I need to see those kinds of things in tights and Under Armors running around in Indianapolis of all places when in 2020 we've digitized so much game taping and break it down and search for it by the literal move of the pass rusher i don't i don't don't need all of this other testing i want to go study tape this is a waste of time let the guys are supposed to be scouting so they're in scout tape because that's really football hey can i say you just brought up a very interesting point that i think we need to spend at least a few minutes on why Indianapolis? Like, seriously, if you're going to make me do this thing, it can't be in Vegas. It can't be in South Beach. It can't be in L.A. It's got to be in Indianapolis. But you know what? If you're from Indianapolis, you my not so, you. But, you know oh. my not-so-hot take on why it's in Indianapolis? Okay. You've got 250, 22-year-old kids. They're not getting in trouble in Indianapolis. <laughs> they might get in trouble in Vegas. They might get in trouble in Miami. They might get in trouble in New Orleans or Hawaii or wherever. They ain't getting in trouble in Indianapolis, and I think that's for the best for everyone. <laughs> I, th- I think that's that's why we're in Indianapolis for this. Uh, didn't Jerry have a party bus in Indianapolis a couple of years ago? That, Jerry, I, I could totally be making that up, but I remember but a Jerry party could bus. Also, Jerry could also have that same party bus in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, because that's where he likes to be. Like, that's Jerry. That is that not is, the same. That is Jerry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say this, that, like, uh, based on just that point, I did not expect to even elaborate on that anymore. But um, just based on that point, it probably is better than to have it in Miami or to have it in Vegas and to see who's (laughs) going to pass the idiot test. It's like the dudes who come to the combine and fail the pot test. Um, You know they're going to test you for pot. So if you fail the pot test, you didn't fail a marijuana test. You failed a stupidity test. Congratulations. You're an idiot. You knew that was coming. I'm not trying to advocate, you know, taking kids that are idiots, and I'm not trying to even call kids that necessarily, you know, grew up in a state where marijuana is legal and maybe had too much one time and didn't realize it was too close to combat. I'm not necessarily ready to call that kid an idiot either. I will say that you bring up a good point. This entire process seems way more about finding guys that are not ready for the NFL than finding guys that are ready for the NFL. And if 
you're drafting guys based on last available after ruling a bunch of guys not eligible for the NFL, I think you need to reevaluate your process. Like, that doesn't seem right to me either. Yeah, and I mean, I want to, getting back to uh, some of those points that you made earlier, I do not think that the combine is doing a great job of finding guys who fall kind of outside of what would be the expected normal pool of players that you would pull from. There's not a bunch of FBS guys who are going to, or I should say FCS guys, who are going to the combine and getting invites. There's not a bunch of Division Two, a bunch of Division Three. So if you have, it feels like if you're going to do this thing, you shouldn't be doing it for the crowd that we're actually doing it for right now. It feels like if you're going to have a centralized event and you're going to have players come in and we're going to do all the testing, you should do it for the guys who you actually don't know. Because the guys who you do know are going to have it done at Ohio State at their pro day and at Clemson at their pro day and at Alabama at their pro day. And you're sending guys to those anyway. Like, this process should be about finding Adam Thielen. It should not be about finding Stephon Diggs because it should be easy enough right. to find Stephon Diggs. Finding Adam Thielen is a lot harder. So why not create this for that? So then I look at the guys who don't get invited to this thing, and I'm like, this thing should be for them. This thing should be for the FCS, the Division Two, the Division Three. But of course, if you do that, it's not as it's not a television show, right? And not all these guys are going right. to come in and run a four-two-seven or whatever it was that um, that uh, Rugs ran at the combine this year. Like, so we do it for the television piece, I guess. But I don't even think it's that great of television. What it really is is great moments. So, like, this thing, if you do this thing and you just had social media throw some stuff out there, like, that's what this is really built for. I have no interest in watching four days of dudes bench pressing. Like, I do that in my offseason anyway yeah. for football. You know what I mean? The most, like, symbolic thing of the combine is we're doing these 40 times with lasers, and you still have 50 and 60 different old men sitting there with a hand timer like, like guess what parts you're not going to get it you're not going to get a more accurate read and you're not going to be able to do anything more than write down the wrong number about 60 seconds earlier so I, it, I just want some dude to come into like if i'm the owner i want some dude to show up and be like no nah, i got rugs at a four four i don't care what the laser says i would fire <laughs> you so fast it wouldn't even be um, funny yeah, well, and you talk about FCS guys not getting invited, and those guys, while they don't have the flashy numbers and whatnot, the things that they would impress us with are the things that the naked eye would have a harder time seeing, right? Like, a guy that doesn't know much about football can see a 4-2 and be like, that's really stinking fast. A guy that doesn't know much about football, watching their route running is going to be harder to find because the average Joe that just watches football on Sundays and never played it or didn't really know anything about it or didn't, whatever, right? They have a harder time dissecting route running on those kinds of TV screens. Um, but that is where an FCS guy, a D2 guy, or a D3 guy would separate themselves. If we're sticking with the wide receivers, like Adam Thielen, in being crisp in route running and having the right feet breakdowns and in and out of their hips well, that's harder for the average Joe to watch and see. They're already uncomfortable. Why don't we bring them towards the combine in Indianapolis where they won't get in trouble and keep them there together? We can watch them all at once as opposed to having the top, top guys, you know, the round one, top 15 pick kind of guys doing this two or three times for us to watch and then maybe getting to see the occasional small school guy at the occasional pro. It just, it seems all backwards to me and it's done very much for television for the average Joe to like be like, Oh man, can you believe that lineman went four five went, or went four seven or whatever? And then 
that makes every single guy sitting there watching their couch be like, well, I could break five in the 40, and nothing irks me more than hearing guys that haven't done an athletic thing or played a competitive sport since high school say they could run sub five in the 40. Like, you have no idea the explosion <laughs> we're talking about. You have no earthly idea of what, what a 488 actually looks like. Shut up. I don't care what your high school team <laughs> looks like. I don't I don't care how good of a high school backup whiteout you were and how much the coach hated you and if it weren't for that you'd have led the conference in catches. You cannot break five. I hate that. And then I got what I have here is a list of all time bad NFL performances at the combine. SB Nation put this out on uh, Instagram. And it's got names on it like LeGarrette Blunt, Anquan Bolden, Josh Norman, Jason Peters, Jarvis Landry. And then, of course, like the all-time king of bad combine performances that went on to do something in the NFL. A guy who you might have heard of by the name of Tom friggin' Brady. So if you can't identify... I didn't know identify- his middle name. Yeah, well, that's what the F stands for. So um, <laughs> if you can't identify players like this through the combine process i don't know it feels like maybe we should consider another process um incidentally Meanwhile, also on this list is danny trevathan university of kentucky alum go cats have <laughs> <laughs> have you looked up different combine questions like different things the guys have gotten asked like some of them they range from that's sophomoric and i can't believe that you would waste my time to that's offensive and you're lucky i mean you're asking that question to see if i'll punch you in the face right and you're just Correct. lucky that dudes so, don't would you rather be a cat or a dog western michigan uh, offensive tackle willie beaver said the falcons asked him or you have later uh, in this would you share your internet history with us <laughs> this guy from baylor said that he got asked that twice um <laughs> what color is chocolate and the response was, I guess it's chocolate. <laughs> like, like these are these are dumb, dumb questions, um, including stuff that's just weird. Like those are dumb. There's also stuff that's weird. Like, do you find your mother attractive, or what's your murder weapon of choice, a gun or a knife? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what 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 are you gaining from these questions? How do you know if you're a middle linebacker or your running back or your receiver or safety? How do you know if they're a better football player after asking those questions? Aside from the fact that, like, you can see if they're, like, quick-witted on their feet or if they're, like, you ask about a murder weapon, if they're, like, well, this one time I used, and you're, like, okay, Aaron Hernandez, next guy. Uh, like, like, honestly, I don't know I don't know how you how you use these questions appropriately. It's a wild, wild thing. No, you, because you don't. I mean, that's the reality of it. I think that, again, I, there's – it might even be – and I'm not trying to give NFL guys this much credit, but it could be that they're even so – uh, sick of the process that they're just going out there and doing this stuff almost as a protest. Like, yeah, I'm going to ask this stupid question about chocolate because, like, the last thing I want to do is actually be here. Because those guys, listen, this is their off season for lack of a better term as well. I know that they're doing a lot of work going toward the draft, so it's not truly off just yet. But, I mean, those guys could be spending a weekend with their kids at home, and maybe they're just like, okay, if you're going to send me here, then I'm going to ask the bird question. Like, <laughs> like what's, your, what's your favorite bird? <laughs> Just, just give me a, give me a one little guy, bit, you know. You say the bird question. One guy got asked, what type of fish are you? And he said shark. And the response back was, well, that's not a fish. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this, man. Well, just, God. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that <laughs> like, either. <laughs> what? <laughs> can, uh, can we just backtrack for a second? A shark is a fish. 
Who said that? <laughs> what? Who's the dude? I need to talk to that dude because obviously he did not get like basic seventh up. grade science. A shark is just for everyone who's listening because I don't want anyone to leave this pod being dumber for having had the experience. A shark is a fish. Do not be the person who goes out there saying, well, a shark's not a fish and I heard it on F Sports. No, it's a fish, guys. <laughs> so at, we've been talking for a little bit. Let's 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 go ahead and grade this one out. Let's. The claim is that uh, the NFL Combine needs to be abolished, which was the word of choice. So Parker, I say that to you. What are your thoughts? I say it's. You know, the kid gets a lot of credit because he picked a claim I agree with, and that is an A claim. I don't understand why we do this. I think we talked through some ways it could be done much differently, right? We talked through, could you do a combine for FCS, D2, D3 kids, and let major D1 FBS kids do this at their homeschool pro day? Um, We talked about how much access to film these guys have and how they don't really need to watch these guys run around in shorts. I, I just don't think, certainly as the combine is currently done, it needs to be done. That said, I sure like watching it. I like watching fat dudes run fast. It's really impressive to me. What about yourself? So as someone who I used to spend a lot more time watching the combine, and as I've gotten older, I've watched it less and less. You know, it could go away. It doesn't bother me that it's on I, I watch my college basketball this time of year anyway because March is about to come up and I want to know what to do for my bracket. So, like, if this thing went away, I'd be fine with it. And, again, I actually think that it lends itself more to these moments that you could do in really smart social media, which is a lot less expensive in terms of the production. So, I don't – obviously, they're getting ratings with this because I feel like it's on more channels now than it used to be. So, from a from a – television standpoint obviously they're getting enough ratings where they're going to keep doing this thing uh the actual intent of the combine was to provide an avenue for nfl executives to be able to select the best players for the draft and if what we're saying is hey let's find the best system to make that happen this isn't it not in 2020 this might have been it 50 years ago but in 2020 there's just too many alternative things that you can do that feel like it's going to give you a better chance of being successful than the combine. So it to me, yes, it's an A. We can get rid of it. Uh, the, the complicating piece, again, is the television piece. So if you're asking me as a fan, hey, get rid of it, it's an A claim. But if you're asking the NFL to say, hey, let's get rid of this highly rated television show that we can generate revenue from, I fully recognize that they're going to tell me where I can stick that claim. So um, it depends. It's dependent <laughs> upon audience. It's very likely, I've told you this a multitude of times, when I get to an A and an F, it's probably really more of a C. Um, and so I'm gonna, my final grade on it's going to be a C because it just depends upon the constituency. Okay, Parker, so for today's history lesson, we're going to look at the NCAA, and it's March. We're going to look at March Madness. The claim is the NCAA basketball tournament is the worst way to crown a postseason champion um worst way is strong because then i start racking my mind for like well what other way does the NCAA crown champions i would certainly argue <laughs> it's better than some and worse than others um it's interesting because like we spend if you're a college basketball fan i say we 
you spend a lot of the winter watching a lot of basketball games, trying to figure out what's going to happen. And then you get to March, and, and undoubtedly, <laughs> chaos ensues. And there's part of that that's because you have kids that are between the ages of 18 and 22, and we both coach and work with kids that are just under that age bracket. Chaos is going to ensue regardless of what Absolutely. you do because they're kids, right? The, uh, the famous thing I like to remember is there was a, you know, a, a game-winning field goal getting kicked in the Rose Bowl when Texas played Michigan however many years ago that was now. And my dad looked at me, and he goes, you know, the snapper's 21, the holder's 22, and the kicker's 20. There is no telling what's about to happen. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, that's that's what we're watching on all these different games for all these days, and we're putting all this money, ga- we're gambling all this money on it. Um, the one game sample size is going to produce weird outcomes, which are certainly not the best outcomes. Like, we're going to go through a laundry list, I'm sure, of the course of this section of the pod where we list every team that should have won it all and did not. Um, and I know I'm going to go ahead and get this out there because I don't want you to pat yourself on the back too much with it. I think that 2014-15 <laughs> Kentucky team was as good a college basketball team as I've ever watched in my life. And they did not win at all. They went 38-1, and right? If they're not the best basketball team that year, I've got a problem with how we're figuring out who the best team every year is. Or at least I want us to admit that we're not actually figuring that out. Is that fair? Like, can we say that if we just rephrase the way we crown the champion as, like, they won the tournament, not they're the best team this year, maybe it's not so bad. Um, You ended our last section of grading by saying you don't watch the combine a whole lot because you spend a lot of your time watching college basketball to try and get your bracket right. I would argue, A... That's a waste of time because your bracket ain't going to be right anyway, Pards. And B, <laughs> and B, if you are that much more of an expert, maybe you feel like you can figure out these champions. So what do you, what do you think, Shock? Uh, the first thing I think is when I win the tournament challenge and I got that million dollars to split, <laughs> you just lost your share. Um, <laughs> um, no, but you're 100% right. The NCAA tournament is a random championship generator. That's what it is. In some years, it shakes out the way that we anticipate. And in many years, it just doesn't seem like necessarily the best team wins. There are years where it doesn't even necessarily seem like the hottest team wins. And at least in the NFL, where there's also the one-game kind of sample, you many times feel like, well, at least the hottest team won, so there's a chance that makes some sense. Um, and I, I just have it pulled up here. Like, on the NCAA's website, they have the list of champions from – uh, for the last 10 years. And in the last 10 years, do you want to guess how many times the team that was ranked AP number one won the championship? I'd guess low. It's one. It's only happened one time. And incidentally, it was the University of Kentucky. It was the Anthony Davis team that right. went into that tournament. They were the number God, that one That was in the last team. 10 years. That feels like so long ago. Well, yeah, Because these guys are so young in the NBA. But um, that's the 2012 team that won that championship. So um, Ohio State preceded Kentucky. Then you have a Gonzaga team, a Florida team. You have the undefeated Kentucky team. You have the uh, Joel Embiid, Kansas team, Villanova, uh, Virginia, the Virginia team that lost in the first round. So they went into that tournament as the number one overall seed and lost their first game. And then you have Zion Williamson and Duke last year. It seems like every decade or 
has one, every decade has one or two really, really good teams that should have won it all and didn't because of the way the system is set up. I wonder, though, if, if we really did just sit back and say the NCAA tournament winner and did not call them the NCAA men's basketball champion, if we'd really have as big a problem with it. Because would we have as big a problem saying that Villanova was the NCAA tournament winner and not the best team in basketball that year? Because the truth is, they're the big underdog that beat Georgetown and won it, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's, I guess, where I'm at in this whole thing, is it feels like a fun tournament, and it's a fun way to do things, and it's got its chaos, and it serves its purpose. But it certainly, it does not give us the best basketball team every year. Um, it would end up... It would end up causing more confusion if you didn't crown a champion. What I all I would argue for is potentially at some point going with a series versus a single game, and the reality is that would take away from the the average fan and the bracket. the The reason why this thing doesn't change is because people fill out those brackets, and that's a billion dollar industry. At least that's my opinion on it. The NCAA makes oodles of bucks from television deals and those television deals are generated because people love filling out these brackets in March even if they've never watched basketball they'll fill this thing out and they'll put money on it and that money circulates hits the television because we watch and the NCAA makes those bucks so that's the Correct. reason that they'll I never also, change it I also argue that part of the reason it's open for anyone to fill out even if, and people feel comfortable gambling on it even if they hadn't watched college basketball a year it's because the whole year doesn't matter. Uh, it really, like, you have as good a chance of getting it right. <laughs> it's yeah, not... I mean, it's almost like people who don't watch it have a better chance of picking some of these upsets, right? Because, hey, I'll just pick a team based on the color of their jerseys or whatever. And that's hence the random championship generator comment I was... from earlier, right? <laughs> right. When I was a kid, my brother and myself, we were, my dad had, like, a little office pool, and he let us enter it one year, and... My brother actually ends up winning it, which is the fun second half of the story. He was six years old, or whatever it was, but um, he might have been ten. But we were we were kids <laughs> entering it. We were, he was little, so we we were, we were kids entering it though. And my dad was like, you know, the best strategy I've ever seen is you compare the mascots and say if these two mascots fought, who would win? And we're like, well, so who beats Duke? And he goes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So as we look at the claim and as we consider grades, I'm curious, <laughs> what what grade would you put on this particular claim of this the NCAA tournament being the worst way to crown a postseason champion? I don't know that I'd call it the absolute worst because I'm very much opposed to something like the old BCS that just had one versus two. Um I think you go pre-BCS and it was even worse in college football. And I don't necessarily have, outside of like we talked about with the tournament that has some form of bracket play in it, I don't know that I have a much better option. I think it's the worst because you play 35, 36 games. You have this conference tournament. You might have preseason tournaments. It's there's There's something to having a champion at the end that everyone feels is deserving and there's too many years where it feels like the team at the end that wins the NCAA tournament isn't necessarily one that we would have said was deserving back in February or back in January um, I do think that the system that makes the most sense would be some sort of a system where you have a best two out of three 
or some sort of a series. And again, I don't I don't think that college basketball will ever go there because this particular tournament generates so much revenue. The only reason why football changed at the collegiate level was because they realized that they could create a system that could actually generate more revenue based on the television dollars. Right. And I don't Completely. know that. No, you're. I don't know that college basketball is going to think that a series would generate greater revenue in terms of TV money, so they're not inclined to change. Um, the, oh, gosh. Yeah, this is the worst. Um, it's <laughs> I just so you're it's going really definitive bad. worst because I would just say that it's it's horrible, but I don't know that I can do a whole lot to fix it, right? Oh, just because you can't fix it doesn't mean it's not the worst. So, for instance, if we go, <laughs> no, I mean, if we go back to pre-BCS and bowl tie-ins and – you know, one would play four in the in the Orange Bowl, and then the number two team would have to play in the Rose Bowl. And just because that team won their bowl game, like, yeah, that was definitively the worst. Just because other things are really bad doesn't mean that that thing's not the worst. No, there's other things that are bad, and this is the worst. Yeah, I'm pretty, I feel pretty <laughs> confident in saying this is the worst, and I'm giving that claim an A. Well, that's fair, I guess. I would probably end up settling at like a high B because it is it is very bad, and I'd probably write some comment in red ink on the side like, "Well, present to me the better option to get the A or whatever." Like I, that that's I guess where I'm at on this whole thing. All right, so that's another week of F in sports. Three awesome claims, great conversation, lots of laughs, lots of arguing. That's the way that we do it here. When you get a couple of teachers in a room, we like to hear ourselves talk. Uh, Parker, you want to <laughs> go ahead and give your socials? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter or on Instagram at paynesworth512. That's at paynesworth512. Um, leave us your thoughts. Tell us if you thought our grades are too high or too low or if we're way off base on something about the Sixers or you know, pretty much anything. If you're an person that's a fan of philadelphia i imagine you're probably pretty angry all the time so go ahead and tell us what you got <laughs> especially after hearing that i'm like the process is broken and elton brand needs to be fired and just blow up everything um my, <laughs> the socials for the pod so we have a twitter for the pod at f and sports too we have an instagram for the pod as well at f underscore in underscore sports and then my personal social media uh is at shaka cummings uh at c-h-a-k-a-c-u-m-m-i-n-g-s that's both Twitter and Insta. So hit us up with any comments. If you listen to the pod, please remember to subscribe and review it and to share. And all that stuff helps us in terms of getting the word out. So uh, thank you guys for listening again this week. We'll be back next week. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.